case any of you are visiting here, we're not really a high liturgical church. I don't know if you... <laughs> we're subtle about it, but it's... Uh, the music maybe tipped you off a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so Next week will be hymn week. We'll make up for the balance here. But Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19, Jesus said to Peter, I give unto you the keys to the kingdom of God. I give unto you the keys to the kingdom of God. The gates of hell can't prevail against you. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We don't need to go into all the details of what exactly that means, but it does mean that we've got some incredible authority in terms of invading the kingdom of darkness, in terms of what we bind and loose. No, look at the authority there. And I give unto you, to you, you and me, all believers, all who profess what, what, what Peter professed, that Jesus Christ is Lord, I give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Another verse. Luke chapter 9. I'm, since Ed preached this message, I can't get out of Luke 9 and 10. It is just doing something to me. The Lord says in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, He says, um, uh, He called His 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Power and authority. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. To proclaim. In the New Testament, whenever the word of God went out, whenever people went to proclaim the word of God, they started by demonstrating the word of God and then they proclaimed it. You first prove it and then you back it up with your words. All right? Uh, we sometimes get that a little confused. Um, but that's how Jesus did it. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and over sickness. The difference between power and authority is this. The word power is the Greek word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. It means power, uh, to make a change, to make a difference. Okay? I give you dynamite, and then I give you exousia, is the word for authority. It means legal right. I give you the legal right over all demons, and I give you the power to act on that legal right. Getting this? Jesus gives them that authority. Authority apparently is transferable. Jesus takes it. He's got authority. He gives it to them and says, go do that. I give you the legal right, and I give you the power to act on that legal right. Look also at Luke chapter 10. And this is really the verse I, I, that, that, that has been the catalyst for this whole reflection that I'm going to give here this morning. This is where Jesus is sending out the 70. We've talked about this the last several weeks. He's sending out the 70, and he says this. Whatever house you enter, this is verse 5, whatever house you enter... First say, peace to this house. Say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Think about this for a second here. If you, first thing we're to do, this is our stance in the world, okay? Our stance should be to say, first thing, peace. And if there's anybody there who has a share in peace, that is to say, who, who wants a part of that, who is open to it, who will receive it, it will rest on them. If not, it will come back to you. What is he talking about? What do you mean, come back to me? Sounds like some kind of blob. I speak it. It goes, if it has a resting place, it stays there. If not, it comes back to me. Isn't that strange? We're going to talk about it. Let's pray first, though. Father, your word often does not conform to our uh, ordinary thinking and to our expectations. And I pray, Lord God, that that would be so much the worse for our way of thinking and our expectations, rather than our expectations 
trying to water down the Word of God. Lord, confront us here with your truth. We want your truth. Teach us, Lord, expand our minds, especially in this area, that we can grow to be all the people that you want us to be. Lord, I'm just so aware, I'm so aware that I can't come up with words that are going to say what needs to be said. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to be sovereign here and be blowing throughout this congregation as the word goes forth. And however adequate or inadequate the words may be, Lord, make up the difference and apply it to our mind and apply it to our heart and make us people who know what our position is in Jesus Christ and what our authority is because of that position. Let it be done in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, we're still talking here. Uh, we felt led of the Lord to talk about revival and um, kind of what that's about. And the way things have gone is we were just taking a break from the book of Hebrews. And for however long, we don't know how long it's going to go, but for however long the Lord wants us to sort of hover on this, we're going to talk about things that pertain to revival. Um, and lately we've been talking about the, Luke chapter 10. Ed Savoso laid on us this kind of mandate from this chapter, and I just feel led to keep going back to it. I want to talk about this morning, really we'll get to it towards the end of the message, but about what it means when it says we're to talk peace, and the peace goes forward, and it finds a resting place, or it returns to us. And as a way of starting towards that direction, I want to make this observation. Those of you who have studied uh, anthropology know this. Cultures see the world in very different terms. If you study different cultures, you understand that they've got different ways of per perceiving the world, different ways of making sense out of the world. We call it a worldview. Every worldview that a culture has is uh, sort of like spectacles that they wear that color the way they look at the world. They're wearing red spectacles, the world looks red. If you're wearing green, the world looks green. All cultures, including our Western culture, colors the way we look at the world. It colors the way we think about the world. What's more, everybody thinks that their worldview is right. And it's the final word in the su subject. But what's also true is none of these worldviews are totally encompassing of what the world really is. All worldviews help us see some things, but not others. All right? For example, we here in the West, we are very big on the individual. We, we, we really do a good job of acknowledging the dignity and the value and the rights of individuals. Most cultures throughout history haven't seen that. Yea, for us, we can see that. That's one of the things that we're able to see because of our worldview. What we don't see, however, is the importance of community. Because we see individual, individuals so strongly, we lack categories to understand the importance of being together with others. We lack this is why when we read the Bible and we, we hear that uh, all the human race fell with Adam, we go, what? Because in our individual thinking, that doesn't make sense. Why should I get blamed for what somebody else did? Or when the Lord treats all of Israel as a, as a unit or families as a unit, Achan rips off the Canaanites and God uh, you know, punishes the whole family, we go, that's not fair. Because we operate with this worldview that sees the individual as being so important, we don't see the reality that, in fact, corporate wholes are, 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 are real things. When God thinks of Woodland Hills Church, he sees an organism. And the individual, us individuals, are all part of the whole. And actually, the whole has priority over the parts. But we, with our worldview, we see Woodland Hills Church as just a conglomeration of individuals. You see the difference? It's so important for us to work at getting our thinking to line up with God so that what God thinks is important, we think is important. And that means allowing the Word of God to confront some of the assumptions of our culture. Follow me on this. Here's another area where our culture prevents us from seeing certain things. 
We, as a culture, Western third world, or first world culture, we tend to define reality in terms of things that are physical. Are you following me here? We tend to be materialist. What's really real to us are physical things. And now that has a good side. It's, it's helped us to look at the physical world and learn how to manipulate it and, and develop science and technology and to make life better and things of that sort. Yay for us. But it's also had a downside, and the downside is that we tend to lack spiritual perception. Most pagan third world countries are more in tune to the spirit world than our Christian uh, uh, first world Western people because our, our filters don't allow us to see it. And one area where we really, really tend to miss out, not everybody, because there are people who allow the word of God to transform their thinking regardless of what the culture says, and that's how we all should be, but one area that we tend to really miss out on that's so important has to do with this area of spiritual authority. Norm was talking about it earlier. We don't think in these terms. That's why this statement that says when the word goes, when you say peace, it goes forward, and if it finds a person who accepts it, it stays there. If not, it comes back. We have trouble making sense out of that. The way the Bible portrays it is things that you say have a reality to them, even when you stop saying them. They exist. And they do stuff. You say peace, and it has a power. It has an authority. You say a curse, that also has a power and authority. And it tends to affect other things. This is why the Bible puts such an emphasis, such a strong importance on what we say. The tongue, James tells us, is the rudder of the ship. It's so important. It determines life and death. What you say is extremely important. We Westerners think that what we say, we just say. And if no one's listening, it doesn't make any difference. But as a matter of fact, the Bible puts such a strong priority on the power of words, on making an oath, on making a covenant. And it runs throughout the Bible. It's an extremely important thing. It's the power, it's the authority of our words. Now, I want to talk about the authority that we believers have in Christ. Norm touched on it. Last week, I preached Ed Silvoso's sermon. This week, I'm going to preach uh, Norm's sermon. I'm just into borrowing sermons these days. Uh, you know, but hey, God doesn't put a premium on originality. All right, there you go. Here's the thing. I want to give a little teaching here about what the authority structure is of creation. God is a God of order. He has an authority structure. He has an order to things. God created human beings to have authority over this world, over this earth. Psalms chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. Psalms 8, 5 through 9. Powerful passage. It says this, that God created human beings a little lower than God. God created human beings a little lower than God. That's what it says, a little lower. That's high up there. And gave us authority, gave us a power over the creation so that nature and the animal kingdom would obey us. What you get in this passage, you also get it in Genesis 1, and you also get it in various ways throughout the Bible, is that God created us because he wanted us to be his bride in, in a figurative sense. He wants to pour his love into us. He wants his love to be reflected back to him. He wants a partner to join in his triune love throughout eternity. That's part of the reason why God created us. But there's another reason. It's a functional reason. Last week we talked about how we all have an identity of love in Christ, but we also have a vocation. Here's the ultimate vocation that God gave for human beings. We were to rule this world. God uh, wants to be king of the whole cosmos, king of the creation, but he doesn't want to do it directly. He wants to do it through the mediation of other personal agents. He delights in having his authority and his power diffused through others, 
so that he, he creates a world and he puts us, human beings, as the stewards of this planet, as the viceroys of this planet, if you know what I mean. We are the ones who stand in God's stead. We are to borrow his authority and apply it throughout this world. Ultimately, the goal of humanity, in terms of what we were created to do, before we fell, and we're going to do this after we're redeemed, after the creation is restored. The job is, it's found in the Lord's Prayer, it is to live in such a way and to speak in such a way that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let the, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The role of us, this is the score, folks. This is what's going on. Most human beings don't have a clue as to what reality is about, what the world's all about. This is it. Human beings were created to live in such a way that we took God's will and we applied it to this earth. Lord, let your will be done for the animal kingdom. Let your will be done for the earth. Let your will be done for society. As it is in heaven, so let it be done here. That was our authority. Tremendous authority. Power over, the Genesis 1 says, to have power and dominion and subdue the world. That's the job of human beings. But all authority, we got to get this, all authority is conditional. God doesn't give it unconditionally. He gives it on condition that we are walking in right relationship with him because it's his authority. He wants to use it through us and therefore it's conditioned on our aligning our will with his will. When, 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 when God's will is done in my life as it is in heaven, then I have the authority to begin to pray it to be done on earth as it is in heaven and God wants to use me to do that. It's, it's conditioned upon it. In fact, all leadership, all real leadership is conditioned upon character. Someone say amen. amen. You know what I'm saying? Now, you can have a dictatorship without character because you just have power, but that's not real leadership. That's just power. You can have a dictatorship, and, and, and no one cares about character. But if you have real leadership, people follow because of a quality that is there. One of the things that's screwing us up as a, as a nation right now is that we're trying very hard to separate those two things, all right? Uh, and, and, and it's kind of squirmy now. It's a little bit weird now. You can't. You know, we ask the question, does character matter in office? And, you know, we, and most people today say no. I mean, polls say most people don't care. The early fathers thought that was the only thing that mattered. The character of the person. Well, I guess this person could lead people because of their, their character. And I'm not getting political here. I'm just making, well, maybe I'm a little bit, but forgive me. But I'm making a point about leadership, about, about authority. That's why when we fell as a nation, when we fell as a race, not as a nation, but as a race, we, to a large degree, lost our authority. As the Bible portrays it, we, instead of praying, instead of living and speaking in such a way that, was, uh, that we said, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we lived in such a way that we said, Lord, let our, we didn't say Lord, we, we wanted our will to be done on earth regardless of what happened in heaven. And it goes back to Genesis 3. We rebelled against God. We were co-opted by God's arch enemy named Satan. And the result of that is that authority, our authority was transferred to him. Which is why the Bible, as the Bible portrays Satan, Satan, um, he has the authority that human beings were supposed to have. He's called the Lord of this world, the Archon, uh, which in Greek means the highest point of authority on this planet. Three times Jesus calls him that. In John 12, John 14, and John 16, he's called the principality and power of the air. Um, he tells, he, when he's tempting Jesus, he says this, I have authority to, over all the nations of this world, to do whatever I want, and I'll give them to you if you'll worship me. But Jesus doesn't say, no, you're wrong about that. You don't have that authority. He acknowledges that he does have that authority. 1 John chapter 5, 19, it says that Satan has control of the entire world. We were supposed to have that. 
We were supposed, that was our job to mediate God's authority. Now, one who hates God has that authority. We surrendered it over to him. He has legal right on this planet. The Bible says that whoever sins is a slave to sin. John 8, 34. Whoever sins becomes a slave to sin. When we sin, when we rebel against God, we stop being under the will of God, and we, to that degree, became under the will of Satan. And now we're puppets on a string in terms of our obedience to him, and our authority is largely compromised. We don't have the authority. We haven't lost it all. But we don't have the authority over our minds and over our bodies and over our children and over our pets that we're supposed to have. We're meant to be rulers of this. And it was supposed to come easy. And it would if we were in alignment with God. But now we've lost that legal right. We're under a polluting influence from the enemy. And everything is screwed up. Why is it that nature can so do us such harm? Why is that? Because we have, to a large degree, lost our authority over these things. We are fallen rulers. As a race, we're fallen rulers. How is it that we are capable? We, we are such a contradiction, as Blaise Pascal said. We are a contradiction between the most exalted, no, noble aspirations. We have those as a, as a race. Incredible things we're capable of. We can dream incredible dreams and make incredible achievements and do such wonderful, good things. And then we're capable at the drop of a hat of doing the exact opposite. I read, read this week in this, uh, um, this thing in, in the newspaper about the, this internet porn ring. Did you read about that? They cracked the largest porn ring they, they've ever uh, done before. And, and it's uh, this network of very sophisticated computer experts that had a, a global porn, child porn ring. And to even get into this club, you had to have 10,000 uh, uh, portraits of, of children uh, involved in sex acts. And I read this thing, and we're talking about big people. They haven't even caught them all. People who are, are in positions, respectable positions in society. And you read this stuff, and your stomach just churns. It's like the most disgusting, repulsive thing I can imagine. Animals don't do this kind of thing. I mean, you couldn't get a dog to, to think these debased thoughts. How is it that human beings are capable of such exalted heights and, and depths that are so low and so dark and so despicable the animal kingdom wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't venture in that direction? It's because we are a fallen race of people who are meant to be leaders, who are meant to be rulers, who are, uh, who are meant to be kings and who are meant to be queens. And the higher you are, the farther you fall. Lucifer's the, 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 the prime case of this. How is it that Lucifer is so capable of such diabolic evil? It's because he was so capable of such wonderful good. The human race is the same thing. When leaders fall, things really go bad. And so when you look around at the world around you, or even look inside your own heart at the contradictory feelings and aspirations that are maybe there, you understand the explanation is clear. When you know what we were destined for, you understand why we have this pull upward and also this pull downward. It works in both directions. And every person we see in this congregation, and every person we see out in society, and every drunk you see on the park bench, and every prostitute you see on the street corner, and even these people who are involved in this gross porn ring, they are, you are looking at beings who are meant to be glorious rulers, who are meant to glorify God with their mind and glorify God with their mouth and glorify God with their deeds. You're looking at people who are meant to be queens, meant to be kings, but they've fallen and they've been debased and they've been robbed of their dignity and have fallen under the bondage of the enemy. Enter Jesus Christ. You know, here's why God had to become a man. One of the reasons. He, he, he accomplished a lot of things. But why did God become a man? 
You guys, the thing about Christianity is that when you put the pieces together, it makes sense and nothing else does. God became a man, and the reason he became a man, he had to become a man because this legal stronghold on the human race had to be broken. Okay? Um, he became a man, and he was the first one. He had to undo what Adam did. As sin entered the world through one man, so grace entered the world through one man. And God started, literally started, a new human race that would regain the dignity and authority that the race was supposed to have all along. Jesus Christ came into this world, and unlike every other human being that's ever lived, he did not submit to Satan's temptation. He did not succumb to his influence. And therefore, he says in John chapter 14, I think it's verse 30, the devil has no part of me, he has no hold on me, because I always seek to do the will of the Father who sent me. This is the one man in history. He is a full human being. The one man in history who lived in such a way that the, as it was in heaven, so it is on earth. His, the Father's will was his will. He says, everything I do, I do because the Father tells me to do it. His will is in perfect line with the Father's will. And that's why he had an authority. He had the authority that humans were supposed to have but that we lost in the fall. He can talk to storms and they stop. He can come against sickness. He can come against disease. He's doing that because he, out of the authority of the Father. But that's what all human beings were meant to be. He is, he is, you're seeing human being as it was meant to be when you look at the person of Jesus Christ. That's why he's our model for how we are to be. And then the Bible says this. When he went to the cross, the whole thing sums up. See, he's breaking the legal bond. Satan has no legal stronghold on him. He didn't sin. When we do sin, now there's a legal avenue into our life. But Jesus never did that. It's, it's Satan's legal avenue into our life that makes it just for us to die, to be subject to decay. Hebrews 2.14 tells us. But Jesus never did that. But get this, he died anyways. He died anyways. He allowed the principalities and powers to crucify him. And the result of this whole thing, I can't go into this very deeply right now, but, but just know this. The result of that, as you know, is that death could not hold him in the grave because it didn't have a legal right over him in the first place. Praise God. Amen? did not have a right over him, so it could not hold him in the ground. And when he arose from the dead, he, this is what he accomplished. The Bible tells us this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. Holy Spirit, help it to just get seared into our minds. When he, when he died on the cross, the Bible says this is what happened. He took all of the things that were written against us, and he nailed them to the cross. Praise God. Amen? He took all the things that were written against us, all of the sin... He took everything that gave the enemy a legal hold on us. Every little piece, every little chink of the chain by which the enemy held us down and had a legal right to do it because we voluntarily agreed to that. He took all the things that were written against us, all the things that could ever condemn us, all the things that robbed us of authority, everything that set us against God. And the Bible says that when he died on the cross, he destroyed the whole thing, praise God. He obliterated the whole thing. It's gone. He did it by his grace. He did it by his love. He did it by his power. He outsmarted the enemy. And the result of the whole thing is this. Because of the cross, we now can regain, despite the fact that we're still in a fallen world and struggle with sin, because of the cross, we now are put positionally, legally, in the, in the same spot that Adam was before the fall. God is here raising up. He's, he's the new founder, the new Adam for the, the, the human race. And because of the cross... Now the enemy has no more authority over us because of the cross. Now we can begin to take the authority that God always wanted us to have. Because of the cross, we are literally put in Christ Jesus. I can't explain all that right now. But just know this. When you become a believer, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, 
You're saying no to the enemy. And the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, that he takes us from the enemy's camp and puts us in the Jesus camp, the kingdom of God camp. We just go back there and we keep taking back the stuff he stole from us. <laughs> I love that song. Okay, that's where you are positionally. Because of the cross now, we have, Lord, help us to get this. Okay, get this. This is so important. This, is, this, 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 can, this changes everything. We now have, because we are, the Bible says, in Christ, because we're robed in righteousness, our relationship with God is reconciled. There's no more issue there. Therefore, we can now begin to live in the way that God always intended human beings to, to live. To live not our will, but thy will be done. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we do it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' authority. Now, see, here's what we got to understand. We Western people aren't good at this because it, it, it doesn't square with our cultural assumptions. But it's biblical. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Really? There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's God's authority invested in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. I can't believe, thank you, Lord. I'm just getting all these verses here. Uh, Colossians 3, 17, that, that um, everything we do in word or deed we're to do in the name of Jesus Christ. It's like this. It's like a credit card. Um, we have, you know, if I, I may be broke and, and have nothing, but if my father's a billionaire and he gives me a credit card, I'm in good shape. And I don't cash anything on my own bank account, but I do it on my father's bank account. Just know this, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he did not succumb to the enemy, because of the legal thing that he accomplished, we have got, praise God, his credit card. We got a Jesus credit card. Hallelujah. We got a Jesus credit card. And it means then that we have the authority that we were always supposed to have, not because we're so good and so righteous or whatever, but we have it in Jesus' name. Whatever we do, we do in Jesus' name. We, our job, our goal as Christians is to go out into this world and to be bringing about the will of the Father on earth as it is in heaven, and we do it all in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, because of the cross, we now have authority. As Jesus, he says, I give you all authority. He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because of the cross, in Jesus' name, we've got the authority to bind, amen? And we've got the authority to loose, amen? In Jesus' name, we've got the authority to come against the lies that are in our mind, amen? Because, in Jesus, because of the cross and in Jesus' name, you've got authority to come against the spirits that are involved in bringing about discord in your family, amen? Because in Jesus' name, because of the cross, on his authority, as we get our will to line up with his will, we apply God's will to our family, we apply God's will to our mind, we apply God's will to our home, we apply God's will to our neighborhood, we apply God's will to the church, we apply God's will to our, our health, we apply God's will to every area that's coming against God's will, and we do it in Jesus' name, amen? That's the authority we have as the bride of Christ. That's our weaponry. That's why the Bible says, again in Colossians chapter 2, that when he nailed everything to the cross, he disarmed the principalities and powers. Verse 15 of Colossians chapter 2. He disarmed them. He stole their weapons. Because the only weapon he ever had on us was our sin. And he crucified Jesus, and that's what allowed us to be freed from our sin, praise God. We've got that authority. We've got that authority. Now, now let's go back to, to Luke chapter 10. Now we begin to understand a little bit about this thing about speaking peace. About speaking peace. Okay, given what you know now about our authority in Christ. Our job, the first job, we're going to be doing it next week, in, uh, uh, September 14th, 15th, and 16th. Look in the bulletin. Read that, okay? Get on board with this thing, okay? We're going to be doing it at the same time, tuning into a radio station. It's in the bulletin there. We're going to be going out and speaking. First thing, speaking peace to our neighborhood. 
speaking peace to our family. And we do it in Jesus' name, and there's authority there. This isn't well-wishing. We're not just saying, have a good day, twiddly-dee. No. When you, say, when you say peace to this house, you're saying it as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And there's authorities there. Spirits have got to line up there. I mean, you're making a difference there. It's not, we're not just playing here. Lord, help us to see how vitally important this is. It seems to our Western world like this is an unimportant thing. I was out last night just in front of my neighbor's house that I used to be speaking curses against, though I didn't know it, calling her names. Okay, I was sending out a message there, and that had power too, to her detriment. And now I understand some things I didn't understand before. So now I'm standing out in front of her house, and I'm praying. I'm just saying to her, Lord, I speak peace to this house. I speak your love to this house. I take authority over any varmints that are in there that are hassling this family. They have no idea what I'm doing. If they're watching me, they probably think, you know, a little strange guy here. Who cares? <laughs> but here's what I know. Even as I'm doing it, even as I'm doing it, go ahead, come me as being bizarre, weird, crazy. I don't care. But I could sense that there's just differences going on in the spiritual realm. There's Okay, I'll tell you, there was like a glow. I told my wife this, and she kind of, you know, uh, even get enough sleep, honey? But there was a glow there. There was like, man, this stuff is working. It's kicking, and I'm telling you, uh, in the neighborhood, I'm seeing a difference. I gotta, I'm praying for a neighbor's hip now. I, I asked him, well, how can I pray for you? And they, they think it's weird, but they'll do it. Well, I got a bad hip. If you want to pray, go ahead. Okay, and I just made a deal. Okay, you uh, let me know if, if it's getting better. You know, because I'm taking, this is my congregation, this, this block. So I'm taking authority over it. And I, as one who is commissioned by God to have authority over the earth, I can do that. This plot of land, I want to take authority over to make it one of the domes in which God is king. The kingdom of God, right? That's what we, in a nutshell, are to be doing. I'm doing it with my family, and I'm seeing a difference. This is the last three weeks. I, I did this occasionally, but I, I never saw the importance of it until, I, like I have the last couple weeks. I read a book uh, by, by Charles Kraft called I Give You Authority. And, um, uh, man, oh, good book. Weird, too. Uh, but, but it will stretch you. But, but, but check it out. And I've just been doing this. I've just been taking authority, taking authority that Christ has given me in Jesus' name over the family to keep out any polluting influences. And it's not like all of a sudden my family is, you know, uh, an Amy Grant, perfect family, you know, targets stuff. No. It's not like that. But I'm telling you, there's been a quality. There's been a quality there. You know, we got to be real about this stuff. It's, it's still a war zone out here, folks. But there's a quality that wasn't there before, okay? You, you're operating in, in the spiritual realm. Let me conclude by, by just saying these two things real quick. Number one, you as a Christian, you're the salt of the world. You're the light of the world. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's a heavy responsibility, but it's also a wonderful opportunity. You have that right legally by being a believer, but to exercise the authority, follow me on this, and I, the Holy Spirit just make this land. If you want to stay in your seats after I say it and after we're dismissed and pray about this, do it. But here's the thing. The authority to see, to effectively apply God's will as, on earth as it is in heaven, okay? To effectively do that, you do it to the extent that your life is an example of it. As your will is the Father's will, now you have the authority to actually do the dynamite, the dunamis. The dynamite gets activated by your walk with God. Sanctification is crucial. If not for your sake, then at least for the people that you could influence, let the Holy Spirit convict you of sin. Sin is a blockage to our relationship with God and therefore a blockage to our spiritual authority. Okay? Now, I'm not saying wait till you get perfect before you take authority over stuff. Take authority over the stuff in your life even before you get perfect because that's what's going to move you in that direction. But 
Sin is a serious business. When people of authority, people of leadership, fall, everybody that they could touch suffers. America right now is hurting because of President Clinton's failure. And I don't mean to pick on him, but this is just the way things are structured, structured folk. folks. In spiritual ways, America is hurting because of that. Now that we are believers, we have a light responsibility, a salt responsibility to the world. And Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, who's going to salt? And if the light goes dim, who's going to light? We have responsibility there. Turn from sin, repent from sin, and watch how God can use you. The second thing is this. You ask, how do you, how do you take authority? The main way is simply by speaking it. By speaking it. Say it out loud. I now, at night and in the morning, say it. I say, I, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, I take authority over anything that would be trying to hassle my family today. And if you're going to be serving my wife, you've got to go through me. And I, I prohibit it in Jesus' name. And if you're going to get to my kids, you've got to go through me. That's the rules, folks. And in Jesus' name, I prohibit it. And Lord, I ask you to put some angels around this household. And to, I speak peace to this family. I speak peace to my life, peace to my marriage, peace to my kids. You say it. There's power in the words. I'm not talking magic here. I'm just talking biblical truth. And it would even feel a little silly at first, maybe, as you're doing this all by yourself. Do it, though. Do it. It's biblical to do it. Just speak it. And you'll see the difference there. Speak it out. Speak it over your, your, your neighborhood. And watch God do what God wants to do. We are ambassadors to the world, all believers. Uh, we're part of the church. We're, we're, we're the army here. Uh, we got a job to do. Let's do it in his authority. Amen? Amen? Amen. Pray with me here. Father. I do not, this side of the eternity, understand why exactly you set things up the way you did, why you would entrust us with such authority, but so be it. It is your prerogative, you're the king, you're the Lord, and we accept it. Not that we have much choice in the matter, but it's, uh, Lord, it's, it, it, it's also a delight. It's an awesome responsibility, but it's a delight, and we take it, Lord. We submit to it. And I pray, God, that we, Woodland Hills Church, this organism would uh, begin to, Lord, exercise the authority that you have invested in it. What an incredible authority it is. Lord, we can't, I know, we can't even begin to imagine the things that can happen if we really begin to, in faith, move out in your authority. But Lord, help us to dream dreams and to have visions, praise God. And to begin to do that in our houses, in our families, in our lives, and in our neighborhood. We want to glorify you. We want, Lord, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me, okay? You know this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Praise God. Amen.